Welcome to the conversation. It's Adrian Lawrence. Today I am joined by political reporter for Vox, Nicole Norea. Thank you so much for joining us, Nicole. Thanks for having me, Adrian. Yes, so I know that you cover a range of personalities, conversations, everything in this political landscape right now that's really shaping the state level races and policies. But we are going to talk about somebody on the federal level, which is Senator Lindsey Graham. Yes, so Lindsey Graham issued a proposal recently that would ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. His reasoning was this notion that fetuses can feel pain at that point in development, which is something that is very much a point of active scientific debate and hasn't been proving. It does include exceptions for cases of rape, incest, and to save the life of the pregnant person. But this proposal kind of came out of the blue from Lindsey Graham. There's a real sense that he was bucking his own party and trying to articulate where the Republican Party stands on abortion, which he says it's not a total nationwide ban yet, but it's still drawing the line fairly early on in pregnancy. Yes, and before we go more down the path of Lindsey Graham's new proposal with this 15 week abortion line here, let's kind of talk about maybe the potential motives for him to get in this because it seems like before, well, no, it doesn't seem like it's a fact. Before he was, you know, he was praising the Dobbs ruling from the US Supreme Court, reversing Roe v. Wade, saying that this is a state's rights issue. So all of a sudden now he's willing to have it on the federal landscape and determined as a federal issue, but also too what he is facing a potential subpoena down in Georgia. And it looks like he may need a lot of the GOP leverage behind him. Is that what you think might be potentially encouraging him to step out into this space and to introduce this legislation? I mean, this isn't the first time that Lindsey Graham's waded into the abortion debate, but I do think that the timing is curious for some of the reasons that you mentioned. But you know, I, I again, I think this kind of blindsided Republicans. Maybe he thought he was kind of getting out ahead of the issue because a lot of Republicans have been really reluctant to even address the issue on the campaign trail ahead of the midterms. You know, Republicans are at a very delicate moment right now. Where you know there's only weeks to go before the election, and um, their stance on abortion and their their decades-long campaign to overturn Roe is very unpopular um, with voters. So um, they've largely been trying to avoid it. But I think Graham wanted to perhaps portray his stance as a moderate one. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that that's where most of the country is at. You know. A, a lot of Republicans supported early earlier versions of this bill that would have banned abortion at 20 weeks. This is a 15 week ban, and they have since come out against this stricter version. And among the states that do place restrictions on abortion, most of them do so at 20 weeks or later. So that should show you that this isn't a middle ground approach, even if that's the way that Graham's trying to sell it and sell it to voters. Yeah, it seems like he's trying to sell a lot, um, and maybe it's hopefully, uh, maybe hopefully in his mind, this thought that he's going to get the press to focus more on his 15-week um, abortion uh, ban, as opposed to maybe the fact that he is subject to a potential subpoena down there in Atlanta. Uh, it does seem definitely nefarious, but I know Lindsey Graham isn't necessarily new to nefarious behaviors, uh, particularly when it comes to politics and his antics. 
And so let's dive a little bit more into this 15 week. Um, so as we've kind of discussed, like that is super early. And also it's not necessarily scientifically firm in this ideology that that's when a fetus will feel pain. So in terms of his picking 15 weeks, um, where do you think this came from? Yeah, it's curious because again, he supported 20 week bans in the past. And he's been trying to frame this as a quote unquote late term abortion bill, which is totally disingenuous. Late term abortion isn't a medical term, but the way that it's generally understood, it's it's supposed to be between at least 21 to 24 weeks of pregnancy and thereafter. And obviously 15 weeks is nowhere near that, but you know, I think, we're meant to take him at his word that he doesn't want to go further in banning abortion totally. Um, Democrats are certainly making the argument that this is kind of a slippery slope. Well, if they're willing to ban um, abortion at 15 weeks, who's to say that they wouldn't go further if they're in power? And um, I, I think, you know, even though again he's trying to make this look moderate, uh, Democrats are trying to paint it as extreme and um, quite the opposite. Actually, to me, it, it resonates in this thought that. Well, this doesn't seem like a way of conveying that the Republican Party is in touch with the with what the American people want, whether it's on the Republican end or the Democrat end. That it just tells me that the GOP is out of touch, and so it seems like this would be almost a death knell for the Republican Party, and really indicative of the thought that their beliefs and their mantras are not necessarily aligned with where this nation is going. Would you say the same? I mean, certainly from the polling, that's what it would suggest. You know, Republicans have spent decades on this mission um, that they wanted to deliver for their base uh, to overturn Roe, but you know, 85% or so of um, Americans think that abortion should be legal in all or most circumstances, um, and that is certainly not what this bill would do. You know. Many people get abortions after the 20 week mark because it's only at 20 weeks that certain tests can be conducted to determine whether the fetus could have potentially life threatening conditions or conditions that are inconsistent with life. So this isn't something that most voters support. I actually have been recently covering Latino voters who are generally thought to be a more conservative constituency when it comes to abortion. but. Even among them, majority Catholic, majority Christian, they don't believe that this is a right that should be taken away. So I think it, 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 it's just, it is out of touch. Absolutely, and it seems to suggest that that's where a lot of the GOP is going, where they are out of touch, where they're trying to push these religious backed mores on a lot of the United States, as opposed to let's actually pay attention to science. And it is also kind of weird to have these male identifiers out here kind of picking 15 weeks out of a hat. Uh, at times as it seems, um, but I think in part with our nation getting a little bit more intelligent and also having that access to social media and the internet has really changed the demographics and the landscape. So as uh, we talk about changing demographics and landscape, let's talk about the midterms and where things are largely in part because of Roe. As people are saying, it's Rovember. Uh, what have you seen so far? I hadn't heard no Rovember, but it, that's definitely what it is. Um, the national environment has totally changed for Democrats since the Supreme Court's decision came down. Um, you know, Democrats are now leading on the generic ballot, um, which is where pollsters ask voters which party they intend to support in the general election. 
Um, you know, of course, we've seen some skepticism about the polls potentially overestimating Democratic performance, but you know, it's going to be hard to know until election day. And there's definitely other indicators. Um, you know, we saw the enthusiasm in Kansas earlier this summer, where voters pretty overwhelmingly rejected a ballot measure that would have allowed state lawmakers to enact more restrictions on abortion. And that's a really solidly red state. Um, so that should tell you about where much of the country is at, even among Republicans. Um, uh, in that, we also sort of saw just the level of turnout. Um, it was more turnout on um, it than in any primary in Kansas history. So tons of enthusiasm on that side. Um, we're also seeing data that in some states where abortion rights are under threat, young people and particularly young women are making up large shares of people who are registering to vote. Um, so that they really are, you know, mobilizing around this at this point. Yes, absolutely, and that mobilization is so incredibly significant because, hey, the more voices, the more power, the more resources out there, the more possibility for potential change. And so I know that a lot of people, again, are talking about November and the potential with it, especially with Donald Trump facing a lot of investigations and charges, and as well as potential candidates such as Ron DeSantis now being under criminal investigation, as well as facing various civil suits for his antics on behalf of the GOP. I just wonder if, as it turns out, this whole reversal of Roe v. Wade will end up being the death knell for the GOP and revamping the entire party. We will see, I think it's very interesting. But I would love to know in terms of the landscape and what you are looking at and seeing on the political divide, what is it? Can you give us a taste? Yeah, so it's gonna impact races up and down the ballot this year. I'm looking at governor's races since many of them have veto power over bills restricting abortion that could be passed by Republican controlled legislatures. Um, it's also a key factor in state attorneys general races, um, since they're gonna be their state's top prosecutor and could prioritize abortion related crimes in states with abortion bans or decide not to enforce um, state abortion bans. And of course, you know, in some of these battleground Senate races, Arizona, um, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona, um, all of those, it, of course, you know, Democrats are trying to warn voters that electing a Republican could mean another vote in favor of nationwide abortion restrictions. And now they have Lindsey Graham's bill to concretely point to. But, you know, I think in terms of pulling out a few races that are really interesting, Michigan is particularly interesting because it's a split, a split control. So, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer is up for reelection this year. and. She's facing a GOP legislature, and they're trying to implement a 1931 pre-Roe abortion ban on the books. Um, and she's sort of been standing in the way of that, trying to get the state Supreme Court to overturn it. Um, there's also a really interesting um, ballot measure that Michigan has on the ballot this year that would um, amend the state constitution to basically establish a right to reproductive freedom, um, and that could put some uh, put some obstacles in the way of the GOP legislature there. Um, but yeah, there's just so many that are that are interesting races and it's um, it, it is impacting everything up and down the ballot. Absolutely, it definitely seems to be so. And so can you please tell the viewers where they can find more, read more about your work? Uh, yeah, I write for Vox, um, also podcasting on the weeds and um, you can read my stuff on vox.com. Uh, yeah, I've been covering 
um, all of the abortion related developments at the state level and, and nationally. Fantastic, that's Nicole Norea, politics reporter for Vox. Thanks so much for joining us, Nicole. Thanks for having me. It's Adrian Lawrence and more conversation. This time we happen to be talking about something I think that's near and dear to many of our hearts, including Californians, cannabis. Yeah, that's right. And I have joining me the CAEO of Dope CFO, which is Andrew Hutzinger. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yes, absolutely, I'm super excited to have you. So I know the cannabis industry really seems to be changing and evolving, particularly in conversations and realms of impacting social equity. So I'd love to know with this $30 billion industry and $30 billion in terms of legally on the books, knowing that it's growing so rapidly, where do you fit in in this space? So we're um Dope CFO basically teaches CPAs, accountants, attorneys how to do the accounting and tax correctly. Um, but really, we want to focus on that CFO word. We want to come in and kind of have the back of of those those owners. And you mentioned social equity. Many of these startups are founded by social equity applicants that may not have a big background running a a you know a five to ten million dollar company, which many of these companies are. So someone might have been a nurse or or just had a normal job and next thing you know they're they're running a, a multi-million dollar dispensary. They need lots of guidance on accounting, tax, compliance, software, even HR, running people, etc. And so we can hopefully help with that. All right, and so definitely it seems like it's a very new burgeoning industry, especially as an attorney. Um, I, I, I know that there can be significant hurdles, especially since you can't necessarily put your money into FDIC industries. So I've known people who are um, general counsels of cannabis industry and large manufacturers as well as distributors, and they've had to have armed forces at the door. Uh, so I guess what kind of approaches are these industries and people taking? Well, and that's a great point. Whatever rock you pick up, whether it's accounting, tax, software, you just mentioned security, huge issue. There's tons and tons of cash in the industry. Um, where have we seen that before? Casinos. Um, casinos operate all over the US with lots and lots of cash. So there's ways to deal with cash from both security standpoint and um, safety and accounting as well. And tax, we have to do more effort than say the coffee shop that has a bank account. Now that said, one of the myths of the industry is that there are no banks. There actually are a lot of cannabis banks. So for example, I'm in Oregon, we have MAPS Credit Union that has 14 locations and they legally bank cannabis companies. And so we can access that. There still is a lot of cash involved. There's lots of theft um, and so people have to be um, be careful. And so yeah, they they might be um, driving some some big massive truck, armored truck um, as well. So it's it brings up a, another issue. We hope, I spoke at the AICPA Cannabis Conference earlier this year, Representative Perlmutter was there. The Safe Banking Act has failed, I think, seven times in four years. Um, but he feels very confident that it's actually gonna be slipped into a bill this year before we change elections. So we'll we'll see and we're all hopeful that that gets passed. 
Yes, uh, I think we're all kind of hopeful as we know cannabis is something that our society has not necessarily fully embraced in terms of at the federal level. And what do you think the chances are? I know that uh, President Biden is kind of a staunch anti-cannabis person, still seeing it with that old school mindset of it being a gateway drug. Uh, and But I'm wondering, what do you think is the potential for change here? Oh, I think the um, the potential is, you know, I used to say, yeah, maybe it was sixty percent five, ten years ago, but we've gone in ten years from Colorado stepping in and legalizing to where we we have legalization in some form in forty seven states right this second. You can do a poll of Republicans, just Republicans nationally. The majority wants medical cannabis. You can pull Democrats, a bigger majority wants legal cannabis. You can pull independents, also a majority. We even go to some of the few states where it's totally illegal like Texas or Nebraska, very red states like my home state of Oklahoma, which is fully legal. Those states are they're showing polls 75, 80% of the population wants legal medical cannabis. There's real reason for this in the US. This is real medicine, you know, we've, We've known maybe for centuries that this stuff is medicine, definitely decades, but now the science is actually catching up. That's the key. So over the last 10, 20 years, we're getting real hospitals, scientists, universities, governments researching the many, many uses from autism, cancer, anxiety, sleep, etc. And Americans want that medicine. I tell people, I say, I ask this to audiences all the time, can you name another issue in the United States of America that actually seven out of 10 of us agree on? You know, you could say the sky is blue and you'd have four doubters in this country right now. We're a very divided country, but we're really not on the cannabis reform. So we're very, very close, even at the federal level. We've we've had the Moore Act pass the House, um, I think three times now. The Senate is maybe three votes short. That's not a lot of people, that's three human beings. Um, would Biden veto cannabis legislation? I doubt it. Kamala Harris is a big proponent. Um, I think if something gets to his desk, it will pass just because on the medical side, as well as the tax dollars, jobs, etc. It seems like that there's a big push in terms of the medical side, but I'm a huge proponent of simply recreationally, largely in part because we see the alcohol industry continue to make money hand over fist. Yet we know it's a toxin, we know that it kills. We also know that it causes significant consequences, even if not just to an individual's body, but also to the things that they do when they are hopped up on Budweiser or whatever the substance is. It just seems like our society has embraced so much of it because of the normalization of it. Uh, that they're willing to overlook those things as opposed to cannabis. Uh, so I guess where's the research? Because it seems to be that that is often the excuse where people say that there's not enough research on cannabis usage uh, and why they can't just allow recreational usage. Do you know where the research well, is? It is it is slowly coming out on that and, and even like I know there have been studies, I don't have them off the top of my head. So for example, Colorado, when Colorado legalized recreational 10 years ago, everyone's like, oh, well, Colorado's gonna fall apart and you know, the whole state's gonna burn down. Well, that didn't happen. Colorado's doing just fine. <laughs> They've got so is Oregon, lots of tax dollars fueling things like schools and education. And I think we all know what has happened with both the opiate industry, but also like you said, the alcohol industry, whether it's drunk driving or or violence or killing, you don't see that stuff with on the cannabis side. And so I think you're right on recreation. It's also been 
horribly unfair um, to especially minorities in this country who many people are behind bars for long, long periods of time. Um, I'm a big um, believer in in getting those criminal records expunged, getting these people out of jail. It's ridiculous. Um, this is is real medicine, and yes, people can actually use it recreational um, and and not yeah go crazy and shooting a bunch of people or whatever. Yes, absolutely. I think it does alter the mind in a way that is less harmful. And so I'm really glad you brought up in terms of the social justice equity issues because yes, absolutely. I think I would assume that you know that the history of cannabis has largely been one of racism. The fact that black people and Mexican people used it is why the United States outlawed it and made it to be out this gateway dangerous drug when that is really just a racist trope that's been played on to justify it in the minds of many, including Joe Biden, which is very sad. At the same time, um, I'm wondering in terms of being the CEO of Dope CFO, do you provide any kind of um, opportunities for suppliers or vendors or people with whom you do business uh, that recognizes the social inequities in terms of communities that have been impacted? It's a huge piece. So we do live calls every week. Literally two hours ago, I was on a live call saying these exact words. We need to go out every dope CFO, of which there's almost a thousand in all 50 states of CBAs and accountants. We need to be donating dollars and our time to social equity applicants. They need our help. Many of these social equity applicants that are getting licenses, they're being fed on by a new kind of, I call them shark. Oftentimes investors are coming in and enticing social equity applicants with, with um, money and dollars to get some of their equity in these companies and they can use someone to protect their back. I'll just real quickly state a couple of these organizations that Dope CFO donated money to this month. One is called Our Academy, it's out of California, National Mentoring Organization of Social Equity Applicants. Another one is is um, Minorities for Medical Medical marijuana, it's M for MM. So minorities for medical marijuana, it's out of Florida, but they've got chapters in 27 states right now. And we are mentoring several of their applicants as they're actually going to pitch on a stage next week in Las Vegas to investors. And we're helping them with pitch decks and, and getting their presentation together so that they can, yeah, win these licenses and, and have some guidance to help really build a good company. Right, so are you, I know you said you got on a call and you said that we need to do this, but are you creating any kind of internalized plan that says we are giving, um, for example, discounts? Like when the company I'm a vice president of, we provide a discount to any kind of nonprofit or government organization. Are you providing anything that's concrete um, that's beside just mentorship? So we're doing, that's the, the avenue we've gone so far. Everyone in our program has, they each have their own business. So I'm not like this national firm with a thousand employees, but we're strongly encouraging, we're, we're doing it at the national level. We are donating dollars. We, we just wrote pretty big checks to those two organizations this month, but we're also donating our time to help those people um, as well. And, and then we're encouraging it to other business owners. I can't force them to do, do whatever, but we're, we are offering on those fronts to to get out there and hopefully provide support. Yes, well, hopefully if they want to use your name as a dope CFO, that there could be something put in a contract to ensure that they do provide some kind of services that address the social equity. But I very much appreciate the work that you're doing and hopefully it can reach more marginalized communities, particularly those who are getting into the cannabis industry. But for those who are viewers and watching right now and who wanna learn more about what you do, where can they find you? 
Yeah, you can find us at dopecfo.com. I'm very easy to reach and um, love to, to meet you or answer any questions. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Andrew Hetzinger, or Hetzinger, excuse me, uh, CEO of Dope CFO. All right. Thank you.